0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Crypto Sapiens. We are here during Season 8 with our esteemed guest from Gitcoin DAO. I'm joined by Azim, the head of partnerships at Gitcoin DAO, and Ben West, who is leading the grants program at Gitcoin DAO. So we'll start with asking who you are, what your role at Gitcoin DAO is, and what your why is. And I think it's really important to root. So, yeah, we can start with Azim and then pass it off to Ben.
1: Sure. So I'm Azeem. Uh, thank you so much for having me. My role at Gitcoin is called Head of Impact. And why that can feel like a little bit of a nebulous term is because in ways it really is. All it functionally ends up meaning is that I lead partnerships, sales, BD, and any other human-related function in ways to oversee things for what we do over at Gitcoin. And so I live on the road. I am on podcasts like this all the time, uh, very graciously. and. Yeah, uh, my why would be so very candidly. I, I got into Gitcoin by mistake. Uh, I, I didn't plan on like I didn't get here on purpose. Uh, mm-hmm. I was speaking with the founder Scott Moore about wanting to raise funds for a Gitcoin grant, and he heard about my background as we were just having like a catch up, and he asked if I'd be interested in joining the partnerships team. But since I got here, what I what I must say is that I just love. I love the give back portion of it. I love how much positive, positive use cases that we get to show for crypto in the real world. And Mm -hmm. some of the amazing work that we've done with Web3 native and also non Web3 native companies. It's just actual meaningful stuff that I believe years from now we can look back on as foundational and integral to the flourishing of Web3. And even already, even now, in ways we can. But years later, when people look back on, you know, what were the real catalysts to allow this industry to move forward in so many ways, I truly believe that the story of Gitcoin is going to be heralded as as one of the top ones.
0: I I totally agree. You know, um, just seeing recently Kevin post about going to D.C., right, and being on the front lines of, you know, pushing for regulation clarity, right, and and legislation. I think Gitcoin is really one of the projects that embodies the positive elements of web three, right? And what this technology can do to create more regenerative crypto economics, you know, and, and impact driven projects. So I think it's so, so vital that projects like Gitcoin Dow are at the front lines, right? And helping to combat the narrative of like the SBFs, you know, and like showing the good we can do here. So yeah, totally agree with that. Yeah. So Ben, I'd love to hear from you, man, what your role is at Gitcoin Dow, what your why is and, and who you are.
2: Love it. Well, first of all, Rachel, thank you so much for having us. I, uh, I've been a fan of Cryptopian since uh, I was a Bankless member back in the day a couple of years ago. Uh, I've, it's been so cool to see all the amazing interviews you guys have been doing, all the great work you're doing, and I love hearing that you're getting funding through Gitcoin grants. That's exactly what Gitcoin's here for—is to fund really impactful, interesting, you know, parts of the community that you know help spread the good word and get people involved, help people understand what's going on, give a voice to all those cool people in the community. So uh, yeah, thank you for doing what you're doing. Um, I, you know, I, It's funny, I, I just hearing Azim talk about how he came on board, uh, I was already working at the Gitcoin at the time and I remember Scott and uh, Vishnu who used to work on our partnerships team, shout out to Vishnu, uh, talking about this amazing guy that they had uh, met and how they were going to try to recruit him and they had to figure out how to get him on board. Um, and man, they were right, it's been totally fabulous working with this human being. I am thank so you. glad to, to be here with uh, the thank thank two you. of you. Um, and, I, you know, I in terms of what I do, I am lucky enough to play the role of grants program lead. Uh, truth be told, we all wear a lot of different hats. And I'm definitely far from the only person involved in the grants program. It's really everybody at Gitcoin who plays a role in the grants, pro- in the grants program. Um, but, you know, I, I, I like to say I kind of worked my way up from the mailroom. Uh, my first job at Gitcoin was helping Awaki put out emails for Shelling Point. Uh, he needed somebody just to, like take over doing the communications to uh to attendees and to volunteers and stuff. Uh and you know I was a member of FWB and bankless and had been around the crypto space for a bunch of years already at that point, um, but wasn't working full-time in, in the DAO space. Uh you know, I actually came from the world of environmental nonprofits and uh, and social advocacy work, uh which I'll get to in a sec. But yeah, long story nice. short is like I, I got involved in Gitcoin, got more involved, got more involved. I've been here for two years now, which is like 20 years in crypto land. Uh, and, uh, the, and the why for me really is, is it's very much just aligned with my values. You know, I'm somebody who has always worked on trying to make the world a better place in some way. Um, a lot of the work I did in the past was very much about stopping bad things from happening. Um, you know, trying to stop a bad project from coming into existence or bad policy from being made—it's uh, really exciting just to like play a role in helping to support so many good things actually becoming a reality. Uh, and I just love kind of seeing these projects grow, helping to support them. You know, seeing if there's any ways we can help them speed run the whole process of like getting from where they are to where they can have the most impact. So yeah, that's my why.
0: Absolutely. And I feel like out of any Web3 project, Gitcoin DAO really focuses on the impact, like long term sustainability on a financial level and also for the greater good of the planet. Right. So I want to ask you guys, how did Gitcoin DAO even come into existence and what inspired its creation? Also, I'm I'm curious if you can share like what problems Gitcoin DAO aims to address for those. I mean, most people listening will know about Gitcoin DAO, but for those just learning today as well.
2: Yeah, so I mean, Gitcoin has actually gone through a variety of different stages in its evolution. Um, You know, at first, Gitcoin was actually a project out of Consensus. Uh, You know, Kevin Iwaki and others were like doing work at Consensus, got funding for uh, what was originally actually a bounties platform. Uh, Fun fact: today is Gitcoin's birthday, uh, sixth birthday. Yes, happy birthday,
0: Gitcoin! Wow, that's awesome. awesome.
2: Gitcoin the project, though, not Gitcoin the DAO, just to be clear. So, I mean, like, uh, it was, what, about two years ago that the, the DAO sort of branched off from Gitcoin, the, uh, the original entity. Uh, still, you know, the same vision, largely the same people. Uh, but that was actually the, the point where, you know, there was this very intentional sort of uh, progressive decentralization. So, yeah, I mean, Gitcoin was really uh, created for the sake of helping to fund open source web development projects. Um, you know, the, the Git part of Gitcoin comes from GitHub, like GitHub repository, where people uh, put their code commits for open source software projects. Like basically when people are building in public, sharing their code, collaborating with others on their code. Uh, GitHub was the, the project, uh, also founded by uh, Linus Torvalds, the same guy who created Linux, uh, which is you know, one of the core building blocks of much of the internet. Um, you know, he created this idea of, uh, of a, Git, a Git repository, a way of sort of collaborating with people. And uh, Gitcoin was created as a way to try to fund that very important work because very often that work is kind of invisible, unseen, you know, under-rewarded. Um, and, you know, that ethos is still really the, the, the very core of what it is uh, to be Gitcoin. Um, you know, as much as the, the apparatus has been used to fund all kinds of different public goods and all kinds of different things and various ecosystems, Uh, You know, everything from, like, community development in the city of Oakland to uh, support for Ukraine to climate solutions and, you know, any number of other things, decentralized science, the list goes on and on and on, Um, you know, but really at its core, it's about funding these things that need funding and really changing the way that we allocate funding to things that are important. Um, so, yeah, that, that's really where Gitcoin came from. And, and about two years ago, uh, you know, there was this big step taken towards uh, greater decentralization of Gitcoin, where, um, you know, basically a set of stewards uh, came into being. Uh, you know, the power was really given to a series of work streams to, to really take that mission and run with it and run the program and build out this new software. And, um, you know, now fast forward to, to the present day, and, uh, you know, we're uh, now have like five different products, is that, am I counting them right? We've got Passport, Grant GrantStack, um, which is broken into a few different tools, uh, as well as the grants program. So, you know, a lot of things are being birthed out of Gitcoin uh, as the result of that initial intent.
0: Just want to take a moment to explain what is a public good. Also, what is a regen? Right? Why why do these uh, terms kind of live in the Gitcoin DAO ecosystem? Right? You hear regen. You hear regenerative crypto economics. You hear public goods. Public goods are good. But what does this mean? What is a public good? Can you explain in your own words what a public good is and and the whole you know regen movement?
1: For sure. This is tough cuz there's no definition of a public good that I think that is mutually <laughs> agreed upon by everyone. Yeah, like you know, everyone has an issue with whatever the definition ends up being. Uh so we should make that as like a, a thing right there first. Uh my idea of public goods and I'm curious like Ben's going to have a different one, you'll see. My idea of it is just that with web 2 we live in this world where we have come to accept that everything is owned by a very small handful of very large corporations. And they're very centralized corporations and they completely run it all. And the promise of Web3 and through public goods is that many of these things can and should be public goods, whether it's social media, it's search engines, it's financial transactions, and the list goes on they are things that should be public goods and the way that this technology works can allow this to be things that are not owned by centralized entities that are you know seven companies that control all the money in the world but can be owned by everyone as open source public goods software essentially and to me why that ends up being so interesting is more on the business side of things is that Currently, open source software without Web3 is an industry worth tens of billions of dollars a year. And if we are to say that we want to take all of the Web2 infrastructure or a large portion of that infrastructure that so many people are accustomed to using, and we want to turn it into publicly owned, open source, public good type software, then you can multiply tens of billions by some multiple that then equals hundreds of billions. And so to me, the idea of something that let's say on the low end ends up being a business overall with the total addressable market of hundreds of billions of dollars a year is a super fascinating concept. Uh, But again, Ben is going to have like a a more, and we'll get to that word next, but like, I think a more region answer, whereas mine is more traditionally capitalist in nature.
0: <laughs> wow, be theme, thank you. Honest. Thank you for that. That was awesome. Yeah, Ben, I'd love to hear from you too.
2: Uh, you know, it's funny because as you were talking about it, it occurred to me that like, I think really at its core, public goods are just things that are good for the public. You know, like uh I, I think that's really the crux of it. Um, you know, there is like a dictionary definition of like public goods as like an economics principle, but I don't think that really has much to do ultimately with really what we mean by public goods when we talk about it at Gitcoin. And I, I think that's been a bit of a sticking point. Um and and, and definitely like uh, Azim touched on sort of the broader picture of like kind of what public goods are and can be uh, and sort of how it relates to he, sort of software.
0: He gave uh, like the biz dev definition.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yes. I love it. Right. I love it. I totally agree. I mean, and maybe I'll, I'll sort of use that as an opportunity to just kind of pivot to the other part of your question or regen and how it relates to that. Um, you know, like, I, I mean, as you pointed out from, the, you know, that book about the the green pill and, and sort of regenerative crypto economics. Um, you know, the the idea of uh, of being a regen, you know, comes from the idea of, uh, you know, instead of just being a degen trader, you could be a regen trader, or you could be a regen participant in the Web3 space. Um, it's really a word that has its roots in like regenerative agriculture, um, you know, sort of movements to try to um, leave something better than the way that you found it. Um, you know, which sort of ties into this idea of public goods, like, you know, how can we, uh, you know, with this project, with this protocol, with all of our participation in this space, um, you know, make things better for the general public? Uh, you know, and, and I think we sometimes get a little too caught up in the economic definition of like public goods. You know, it's non-excludable. OK, well, you know, what if some people can't access it? You know, what if, uh, you know, and I mean, truth be told, anything on the Internet is is uh, is not accessible to some large portion of people on planet Earth. So, you know, whether you could call anything on the Internet a public good, I think is debatable. Um, but I, I think that really doesn't matter because really, at the end of the day, I think, you know, people just know what public goods feel like. Um, you yeah. know, and there are things that are, are good for the public. So I'll just leave it there.
0: I think in this book, too, I was trying to find there's like a, a chart and it goes over examples of public goods. I think, let's see, one of the things listed was air, right? It was just talking about things that should be open for people to access, right? Free of charge. I don't know exactly where it is, but if you're interested in learning more, this book covers all this stuff, you know. This is a big one because I know when getting involved in Gitcoin or Gitcoin DAO, you hear the term quadratic funding all the time. Could you guys break down to our listeners and viewers today what quadratic funding is and how it helps you to fund um, impact-driven projects through Gitcoin DAO?
1: Oh, Ben has a way better definition for this than me. Awesome. The way, he fl- <laughs> the way he flows on this is like actually something that I have him do every time so I can like try to remember just a, another few words of his exact pitch.
2: I'm now trying to remember what I normally say. Let's see what comes <laughs> up. Uh, I,
0: Let's go, Ben. Pre- pressure's I mean, basically on. Basically, it's just a way to
2: democratize the allocation of funding. Uh, you know, quadratic funding is like, a mechanism that just helps make uh, grants programs more fair. It's, uh, you know, a, like if you're familiar with, uh, you know, something like a GoFundMe campaign or a Kickstarter campaign, I mean, really at its core, that's what we're doing at Gitcoin. You know, you create a grant proposal, mm-hmm. people ask people for money. Um, but, you know, really the magic is that, you know, we also go out and raise a whole bunch of money from matching fund partners. Like, you know, really the, uh, the secret sauce of, uh, at Gitcoin is people like Azeem. Who are doing this hard work at the end of the day just to like raise all this money and then give it all away um and you know unlike in a traditional matching fund where like you give a dollar and it's matched by a dollar uh, quadratic funding gives extra weight to the number of people that contribute to you as opposed to the amount of money that any one individual contributes um you know so it it tries to kind of disempower whales and give more power to individuals Um, you know, so that's really the fundamental thing that quadratic funding is trying to do. But the end result is that, you know, you go on the platform, you donate a dollar. It could be matched with $5 or $10 or a hundred dollars. Um, you know, the algorithm at the end of the day is basically looking at how much money was donated to each project within a given round, how many people participated uh, and gave to each of these different projects. And it's doing some magic under the hood that like just allocates that funding. Um, you really don't have to understand the complexities of the math. Although if people want to, you can go to WTF is QF, WTF is QF uh, dot com. Uh, and there's like you can read the paper and, you know, and there's a little like tool that you can use to sort of play with it and sort of see how it works. Um, So you can definitely dive in there. But, you know, at the end of the day, basically it's democratizing uh, the allocation of funding and grants programs.
0: Wow. Well, that was beautifully stated. And you heard, Ben, if you want to learn more about quadratic funding, it's WTF is... Q- QF F. okay, got it. <laughs> awesome. So yeah, we're gonna drop some resources on the YouTube video and the podcast if you're listening or watching, you'll have access to these resources um, in the description. I'm curious what your guys's take on how this community has been fostered, how it's grown to be what it is today and why do you think the emphasis on climate rounds and like impact driven projects has come to be such a thing?
2: Um, so, I mean, I, I honestly, I think it really just comes down to the people who've been involved since day one, like Awaki and Scott and Kyle and the and the founders of Bitcoin, um, you know, really had a mission to try to make the world a better place. And, you know, they uh, brought in people like Azim and I to try to have an impact and to try to help make these rounds a reality. Um, I was lucky enough to actually be involved in the first of our climate rounds. Uh, You know, Scott Moore pulled a group of us together who had some background or some understanding of climate, um, you know, and we started recruiting people and it really just kind of took on a life of its own. Uh, You know, just more and more people got involved, Um, you know, luckily we had a bunch of folks with community organizing background who, you know, really valued the community and nurtured the community and supported the community. Um, and you know, I think that's really a, a big part of what's made Gitcoin successful over the years. Like, uh, just trying to do things pretty similar to the way that Iwaki's been doing them since day one, you know, uh, memeing things into existence, you know, building in public, sharing, uh, our successes and our failures and like, you know, and bringing the community along for the ride and making them like genuinely, not just feel like, but genuinely part of the process of, of shaping what this project is. And uh,
0: I, I absolutely love it. It really just feels like the epitome of an organically grown project that has, like, empowered people and different impactful projects. So you said, Ben, that Gitcoin has gone through a lot of different transformations and organizational structures. Why do you think it has ended up as a DAO? Like, what what was the decision-making process to create the DAO? And what's it like, you know, on a decision-making level, operating as a DAO?
2: I mean, I would say just because DAOs are cool AF yeah, uh, you know, like you know, I, I think there's <laughs> <for> just <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I think the reality is that like the whole space that we're in is about decentralization, it's about like empowerment of individuals, um and you know, DAOs are a great mechanism that people have been experimenting with and playing with and uh you know, Gitcoin has just been a very like sort of obvious place for that kind of experimentation to take place and um, you know, it, it, uh, it's, it's interesting working inside of an experiment. Like it, uh, you know, it definitely is constantly changing and evolving. Uh, you know, we have a bunch of different work streams. They've, you know, been sort of uh, in a, in a never ending state of sort of adjustment and, uh, and tweaking. But I think that's good. Like, I think that's kind of part of what makes what we're doing exciting and not rigid and like, you know, adaptive and, uh, and responsive. Um, so I mean I, I think uh, how the decision making works um, you know it's it's kind of a mix of things like a lot of stuff happens like a traditional workplace with people in different work streams um, mm-hmm. you know just like With, you know, responsibilities and accountability and KPIs and all that good stuff. Key performance indicators for anybody who doesn't know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Uh, Thanks for breaking uh, that down. (laughs) No problem. (laughs) I sense the question coming. Uh, The, uh, and and the, uh, you know, the, the other part of it that's, you know, kind of nifty and magic is like inviting the community in to be part of our governance forum where a lot of the really important conversation happens and even voting directly on resolutions um, you know, we take all of that really seriously. There's, you know, a very intentional effort to like let the community really be the ones requesting new features for the GrantStack platform and to, you know, talk about what they liked and didn't like about grants rounds. And, and you know, we're constantly adjusting to try to sort of respond to that feedback that we get. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a fascinating thing working in a DAO. I've, I've worked in a lot of decentralized workplaces in the past and uh, DAOs are really something special for sure.
0: Awesome. Well, I'd love to hear from you both. I'd love to hear from you as well, Azim. What do you think are the advantages of operating as a DAO and what are the challenges you face operating uh, with a DAO structure?
1: So I would say in terms of advantages, I, I always explain what a DAO is, as like a digitally native LLC, essentially. And so being able to spin up something and then being able to pay people frictionlessly around the globe in an easy way, I think is an amazing thing. Uh, it, it's something that really can't be overlooked because let's say, uh, you know, Ben's in Canada, I'm in, in New York, and even just that, if, if him or I were to spin up a corporation individually in each of our respective countries, and we were to say we wanted to run climate rounds through this like regular entity that's, you know, with the government, for us to be able to pay each other would be nearly impossible yeah. it, like like in setting it up and the times that it would take I think I recently read that it takes it takes less time to ship an anvil from the United States <laughs> to Japan than it does to have money transfer that's like Where an did actual you read stat. That? <laughs> I think Who it was the, the Bitcoin out, guy. is what I I think know. it was I think it was Nick Carter, uh, the the, like Bitcoin maxi that like talked about it. It was like literally easier and and faster to ship an anvil to Japan than it was to like transfer money to there. Whereas like if you're using crypto native assets, like it's just like, you know, within whatever minutes uh, for, for a fractional cost, especially if you're using something like an L2, you're able to do that. But I will say very publicly on the record, I think that there are a lot of things about DAOs that suck. I think that the tax implications of it, because of lack of regulatory clarity, are miserable. I know so many people who, even if they want to be able to abide by the law, don't actually know how to, because Mm -hmm. the way that the lack of laws are interpreted by different accountants and different attorneys ends up being different. And I think that ends up putting people in a terrible position. I know there's this company named Opolis, maybe, that helps really solve with those things. I feel like more people should talk to them if they want to get their shit together when it comes to their taxes. But just to say, you know, it's a major issue, the idea of maternity and paternity leave, let's say, and like Mm -hmm. the way that things work, like healthcare, like being another one. I know that Opolis helps with that, too. There are so many of these regular, real world, normal people issues that, you know, aren't a problem like. I think in the United States at the moment, there's different ways of looking at it. But if you're a token delegate, then you could technically be liable for what goes on because of a DAO. And so, you know, instead of being protected under the LLC that you work at so that you can't individually be sued, you're actually in a position where just by being part of like a multi-sig, you could end up being sued into oblivion. And so... Yeah, so I think that there's just Can a I lot actually? going on. <laughs> scary. Yeah, no, no, but exactly, exactly. It's scary. I think, like, just as just as a whole, like the idea of like everything that goes on. If you're a founder trying to launch a DAO and like wanting to launch a native token, the amount of loopholes that you need to go through to make sure, especially if you're in some Western country, that you don't end up in an orange jumpsuit is ridiculous. And so, you know, it, it, it's tough. I think that there are a lot of ways in which DAOs have the ability to really revolutionize work, but I do think that it's going to require nuanced and individualized ways to be able to add laws that make sense to DAOs. It's not a complete replica of traditional corporations. And so while I love DAOs and I am at a prestigious DAO and very much enjoy the work that I'm able to do, I've been someone who's been quite vocal in the past, and, and tend to be quite vocal against crypto as a whole. I think that way too often we love to toot our own horns about how everything that we do is so amazing, and then we aren't critical enough of ourselves, so that when mm-hmm. outside people come in and are critical of us, we act flabbergasted about it. Whereas yep, I think I that call that we, the uh,
0: the rose colored glasses. We got to take them off yes. sometimes and actually look at the things that need to be yes. changed, right? And improved exactly.
1: Palm. Exactly. And Ben and I talk about this when it comes to our products at Bitcoin quite a bit even. And so it's something where I think for people who love crypto, it's important to be self-critical because mm-hmm. it's going to be what allows us to be able to really move forward. And so, yeah, I, I love DAOs, but oh my God, do I hate DAOs sometimes. I can keep shitting on DAOs anytime you ever <laughs> need. So we can we can always go to that hiring talent being miserable, the idea of governance being a joke most of the time. But anyway, yes.
0: Decentralized decision
1: making is hard, no doubt about yeah. it. And, and truth be told, like, it, you know, I, I
2: mentioned I've worked at a bunch of other decentralized orgs. Like, you know, it's, it's definitely not a new problem. Like it's something that people have been wrestling with in co-ops and political parties and nonprofits of various kinds for, for a long time. Um, and honestly, a lot of it just comes down to the people involved like you, uh, you can create whatever process or procedures you want. But like at the end of the day, it's it's easier to be the rotten apple that spoils the, the bunch in a, in a DAO or a decentralized org uh, than it is in more traditional structures, uh, for a whole bunch of different reasons. And it really takes people being committed to trying to find ways to make it work to, to really, you know, get to the finish line together. I actually know some folks in Canada who are trying to legally issue tokens uh, through a co-op model um, the same way that you would issue uh, like shares to or like benefits to members of a co-op uh, and have been talking to the regulator, the regulators. Like, I actually think there are some opportunities to, like, learn from some pre-existing structures where you do have that kind of shared liability and responsibility and where people pay in but also get benefits back out. Um, like, you know, there, there are pre-existing models that we can, like, sort of learn from and emulate. Absolutely.
0: So someone looking to participate at Gitcoin DAO or some open source communities within the Gitcoin DAO ecosystem, what advice would you give to them? How can they get started? How can they participate?
2: oh wow uh don't do it just run while you still can no uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, i mean if you want to be a contributor there's a lot of different ways to get involved um you know it, it, uh, it it's kind of like a permeable membrane you know like it's a it, there's there's a variety of different sort of layers of the community um so for example and especially now that we have uh grant stack which is uh, you know a forkable open source toolkit that people can use anytime like you can go to Um, You know, to to manager.gitcoin.co and and set up a grants round anytime you want. You can run around just like Gitcoins. Um, You know, so, I mean, people can create their own grants program. They can, Uh, you know, become a featured round within our grants programs, you can be a grantee within our grants programs or a donor, Uh, but you can also, you know, just raise your hand and basically anytime somebody's asking for help and support um, and get involved. And and that happens quite often uh, with our various different work streams, whether, you know, you're interested in memes, merchant marketing, or you're interested in uh, being involved in the running of grants rounds through a public goods funding team, uh, or even like raising money from, uh, you know, some from some cool folks that, you know, and and showing up and saying, hey, Azeem, I, I, you know, I think this DAO might want to uh, to help support the open source software round or might want to run their own round. Like, you know, it really just comes down to like sort of how you want to show up, what you want to do, um, you know, kind of where you're hoping to go with it. Um, but yeah, there's I'd say there's not one sort of like this is the recipe to get involved. It's like I, I think the beautiful thing about DAOs is like the more initiative you've got, the more, you know, let's you've got, you can just show up and make things happen. Um, you know, there isn't always going to be like a job waiting for you or like the perfect opportunity, but you know, I've definitely seen a lot of people just kind of create their own jobs, create their own opportunities. Um, and it's actually not that dissimilar from a lot of nonprofits like volunteering time, showing your worth, kind of just like getting involved. Of course, that's not a, a luxury everybody has, but you know, a great way to get involved, honestly, is just to be a grantee. Like, uh, you know, if you're looking to raise funding to do something cool, like, you know, a lot of grantees become contributors. Uh, you know, a lot of people raise money to uh, to do research or to do a podcast or to, you know, get their project off the ground or even just to kind of kick the tires uh, in terms of like the court of public opinion. You know, just get a sense of whether people are interested in what you're trying to do. Uh, you know, people, uh, one of my one of my good buddies, uh, uh, Pernov says, people come to Gitcoin for the cash, but they stick around for the community. Uh, and I think that's true. Like, I, I think really that's uh, a big part of, What makes Gitcoin so successful is not just that people can come and raise money, but they can, you know, meet a co-founder, meet a developer, meet a potential investor, you know. Um, So I would say, like, you know, host a Twitter space uh, in the middle of a grants round. Invite people to come and talk about their project. Uh, You know, there's lots of things you can do without somebody posting a job proposal or, like, offering you an opportunity. You know, create those opportunities
0: that that's really solid advice and um yeah something i was just talking to you guys about the neopolis team was doing a twitter space in the coming weeks when this episode's release i'm hoping to align it with some sort of community building initiative some sort of twitter space so Let's definitely do it. And, you know, Gitcoin radio was really inspiring to me, too. I'm starting to work more with Jimmy from um, Tree Gens, and I've just been so, so inspired by the initiative. Like, having a Gitcoin radio Twitter space running 24-7 during the... Uh the grants round—it was—it was pretty impressive, and that's just the power of the Gitcoin DAO community. I don't know; I can't explain it. Just people step up, and they're so passionate, and and just willing to show up for one another. So it's a beautiful thing. Azim, so my next question—I want to ask if there's any upcoming initiatives. I know you said you travel to quite a few events. So, are there any upcoming events or, or things you're going to be at where people can find you or the Gitcoin DAO team?
1: Uh. We're going to be doing DeSci Boston. Not we're doing DeSci Boston. I'm going to be involved in DeSci Boston. That's happening at Boston University and at MIT on October 21st and October 22nd. There is Dev Connect and Binance Blockchain Week coming up. I think those are, I'd say like that's really the big one. I'll probably be at Art Basel in Miami in December, but I'd say Dev Connect in Turkey, which I think is November 13th to 19. Uh, I'll be speaking at Binance Blockchain Week on the eighth and the ninth. I don't know exactly which day I'm speaking, but that's gonna be there. There's a couple other engagements that I have, but I don't remember them off the top of my head at the <laughs> moment. Is well, the honest answer I feel, month, that. Or, right? I feel that I feel that uh yeah uh, Ben I was uh I was in Singapore for ten days and I got back and then last week was Mainnet and ETH Global so I was over there and based in New York. And then this past week I was in Washington, DC with Awaki, actually. Oh, awesome. uh, yeah, yeah. So that that was fun. It was a lot being able to like sit down with congressional people and we sat in on a hearing that Gary Gensler did and you know being able to have real conversations with people and it was it was awesome. But I'm I'm absolutely a little bit all over the place. Yes. Oh I'll be at Zuzulu. I'll be at the, the Turkey Zuzulu Zuzu Connect. <gasps> Uh, Because I was in Montenegro for, I did ECC as well, eat Denver, Montenegro uh, for Zuzulu, but they're doing another Zuzulu. Uh, Shout out to that team. I think they're doing amazing work, but they're doing, it's like end of October to mid-November around when DevConnect starts. There's going to be in Istanbul, another Zuzulu. So I'll probably be out there as well for a good couple of days too.
0: Yeah, so Azim, I had another question too. I kind of breezed past this and forgot to ask. So a lot of sure. people weren't anticipating this. This is a big question I have for you. So if you're okay with talking about the Shell partnership, I would like to understand and, and give clarity to our viewers and listeners. What was the intention behind this partnership? What were you aiming to do together with Shell? Um, and how did it come to be?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it was a partnership that was a long time coming It was not something that we took lightly. We understood that the community might be less than enthusiastic about the idea of it. Shell has a very deep and knowledgeable Web3 team that's actually been around longer than Gitcoin has. They started in 2016. It's composed of a lot of deep refi and Web3 people. It's part of their emerging technologies side of the business. And so it's one of the branches under it. And it's not something they take lightly. We had to have a lot of conversations over a very long period of time because Gitcoin is a DAO with no end owner, the way that DAOs are set up. And so to be able to do a business deal with an organization like that when you're Shell and you have to worry about KYC, KYB, AML, anti-money laundering, anti-terrorism, like there was so much work that went into it. And being that this is a very deep and knowledgeable Web3 team, they understood what Gitcoin was. And they also knew very deeply what quadratic funding was. Uh, This was one of the things that I think the community didn't understand as well when they were critiquing us is that the funds that were given, we had, and Ben will know the exact number, but it was over 80 or 85% of our grantees opted in to take those funds because there were additional KYC that any grantee had to do to be able to take the funds that Shell had put up. So it was was an opt-in. No one was forced to take that money by any means. And those funds were not CSR dollars. That's the other thing. This was not tax-deductible money that Shell was giving us so that they could, you know, somehow better their reputation through the media. Shell did zero media about it, actually. And so this wasn't something that they did because it was a way to greenwash. Greenwash or something,
0: yeah. You
1: know, and I I know, and even Ben, like there are different definitions around how greenwashing works. So without even getting into that, it's just to say this wasn't something that they took in as a way to promote and co-opt the Gitcoin brand to somehow better themselves in any way. This was something where they see climate change as a coordination failure and they've seen how web3 climate solutions have been doing quite well as evidenced by our climate rounds that ben has completely killed it on and they said you know we want to give money to quadratic funding to be able to make it so that the community can help to choose which projects can get access to this capital to help solve the coordination failures that are causing the climate crisis that everyone wants to fix. Gitcoin is really big on this idea of degen to regen pipeline. And while I know Shell might seem like a very far off one to be able to go on to the regen side, this was this was something that you know I, I helped lead and bring this through the finish line. It, it's something that I think was an amazing deal. I think that there are ways in which perhaps some of the communication and messaging around how we rolled it out could have been done differently. And Ben has done an amazing, extremely eloquent tweet thread about this at length and how you know there were certain things and it's a less than perfect deal in some ways. But we did a six-figure cash transaction with the Fortune 10 company as an obscure crypto company named Gitcoin, where if you talk to the outside world and someone says, where do you work? You have to say Gitcoin with the G because they hear Bitcoin, right? Like they hear Bitcoin when you say Gitcoin. So you have to say Gitcoin with the G. So we're this little obscure crypto company. And while we've done a lot of impact, I think that we tend to live in this small bubble where we think, you know, everyone knows who we are and everything that we've done. But the reality is that's not the case at all. I had, I told Ben about this, a major sports franchise reach out to us the day after I announced the deal on LinkedIn. Because and we didn't talk about it on this podcast, but we've also worked very closely with UNICEF. UNICEF wants to expand their partnership with us. You know, I had a great meeting with Save the Children last week. Like, like we we you know we've been speaking with the International Rescue Committee. We've spoke like like we've spoken to the IMF. We've spoken to like, like Change.org. Like massive in, in crazy important organizations doing amazing work across the board and. With Shell, it was one of those things where like, you know, people were like, well, what if I made an anti-Shell grant? Because of of quadratic funding, they don't get a chance to decide where the money goes, nor do we. And they understood that going in. And to me, it was a really big mark for especially after everything that happened in 2022, that such a large company would not only – expressed interest in working with us, have gone out of their way to figure out how to work with the Dow because that part was very difficult. I cannot emphasize that enough. It was very difficult. And for us to have done what we needed to do on their on our end and they did on what they needed to on their end for us to close this deal because they want to see what it was like to experiment with quadratic funding and some of the amazing work that we've done. You know, a major, major sports franchise wanted us to sponsor their jersey. Now I told them very quickly that like an eight-figure deal of that magnitude is not something we can afford whatsoever. However, the fact that to the outside world where regular business occurs, that the idea of the work that we've done with Shell and UNICEF put us in a position where they looked at us and they said, "You know what? If they've passed the due diligence of both of these massive organizations, then they're someone that uh that we should actually really consider working with." And the fact that we were able to do that the same way that, you know, Pudgy Penguins shout out to them, got their toys into Walmart the other day. And, you know, exactly. And it's a massive thing for being able to actually get mainstream adoption.
0: Mm-hmm. And so
1: this has been this has been something that I know was really difficult for the community to embrace. And I think that there were ways that we could have gone about doing certain aspects of it better. But I really do wish the community could have stepped back to understand the potential positive implications of this. It was actually really interesting on my LinkedIn, and I know I'm rambling, but on my LinkedIn, I ended up putting up a post and the post got more engagement in terms of likes than I've ever gotten on any post. And impact people and crypto people commented, and there was only one single comment on there that pointed to an article about something Shell did wrong. And so even just the idea of the bubble that we live in within crypto Twitter, And then step outside of it, and I looked at my LinkedIn post, and if you further looked outside of it, and you actually looked at all of the media that had covered the idea of Shell and Gitcoin working together was actually overwhelmingly positive. And so it, it takes sometimes being able to step outside of these small bubbles that we've created to be able to look at the perspective as opposed to look through the tunnel vision that sometimes we tend to get stuck in. But I'd also love for Ben to to add a little bit more to color to this. He's a lifelong climate activist. He was working with me very closely on this deal. This was not me alone by any means. Uh, ben worked very closely with me and still does in terms of engaging with the Shell team. And so I'd love to also have him offer some of his thoughts on it.
0: Absolutely. Thank you for clarifying all that. I think myself and a lot of people from the community, like we saw, you know, shelling and Gitcoin and didn't have all that additional context, right? Like you're thinking bigger picture. And I think, you know, this episode, I hope that this helps bring clarity to those who might have not understood it or understood the intention because that makes more sense to me now than uh, before. So thank you.
2: Yeah, I I could not agree more that uh, that was a very eloquent uh, description. Thank you, sir. And uh, and I'm glad you brought up that LinkedIn post because uh, I I think it was just such a stark contrast between what you saw on Twitter and what you saw on LinkedIn. It's it's just interesting how. Uh, those, you know, different communities filled with sort of different sets of people, uh, you know, had such a completely polar opposite reaction to the same announcement.
0: Yeah, the keyboard uh, warriors are a little quieter on LinkedIn.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's also just, a you know, a, a people with sort of a different set of experience and a different set of sort of, uh, you know, perspectives and, and, you know, sort of intentions. And, um, you know, the the thing for me, like, so, I mean, as Azim said, like, I'm a lifelong climate activist. I, I mean, I, I've literally organized uh, direct actions at Shell facilities. I've organized protests at Shell AGMs. I, wow, you know, the
0: contrast of that, like working <laughs> yeah. on a partnership with Shell. How'd you get from there to here? <laughs> well, so to me, the thing that I think
2: uh, got lost in our announcement um, was really the nuance. And frankly, even Azim's post, I think, had more nuance than the way that we sort of announced this. And and part of the problem really comes down to negotiating communications with like corporate communications teams and like our sort of, how that really doesn't mesh with our normal sort of building in public. Uh, in retrospect, I really wish we had talked more just generally about our partnerships and our strategy and sort of the types of decisions we were making, why we were making them, um, you know, and, and I think we could have gotten further with the Shell communications team to really get to a place where, this could have been communicated more clearly. Honestly, it was time constraints more than anything else. Like we basically just, it took a while to get the approvals and the contracts were, you know, just took a long time to be finalized. But to answer your question about sort of how I personally got from there to here, like, you know, in my life, I've met a lot of good people who worked at companies that I disagreed with. And like the people that we met from Shell were good people with genuine desire to make things better. You know, and like, to me, the kinds of things we would want a company like Shell to do would be to put money into projects like the ones that we're trying to get funding for. You know, so, I mean, I'm for one, I'm glad that we were able to convince them to do that. And frankly, I hope that they continue to make that option available. I also thought it was really important that it be optional. Um, you know, the fact that people had the ability to choose from themselves, whether to opt, like, you didn't have to say, well, I'm not going to be part of the climate round. Um, you could still be part of the climate round and not take money from Shell if you wanted. Um, and it's actually not even a hypothetical whether there was projects that were, like, anti-Shell. There actually were. There was a number of projects. Uh, one in particular I know quite well uh, in British Columbia that was focused on a lawsuit fighting against a, a Shell project. Um, they opted out of the funding, uh, but they were in the round. Um, you know, so, like, it it really is... I think just a more nuanced situation than sort of like you know company good or bad two logos next to each other and the optics of it um and and frankly i think like if we could have provided more of that nuance maybe people would understand it better but i, I think there's still be a chance for that to happen um
0: like i think it's happening people, right we, now you, you guys are it, talking about it and getting the the true message out there and the intention and what the the overall purpose was i think a big reason why I incorporated that question is to eliminate any false narratives out there in in regard to this partnership. I think it's really good to set the record straight and let people know the overall good that can come from this. Now, is there anything on the roadmap that you guys are aware of as far as like transitioning to cleaner energy?
1: Way above my pay grade personally. <laughs>
0: <laughs> just curious, just out of curiosity, and I, I'm sorry if that's like an out of left field question. i just something no. I'm curious
1: about. Here,
2: this is this is right in the center field for me. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, I'm definitely not gonna like give you the Shell talking points about what they're doing with their own GHGs or not. Like, I think big companies have lots of different pieces to them, and lots of people that are doing all kinds of different work. Uh, there's people who are doing really good work within the renewable energy side of Shell. Um, you know, who I know really wanna be helpful to our grantees, um, you know, and really could help people sort of speed run their understanding of pretty complex regulatory environments and technical considerations and sort of real world impact. Um, You know, and the company itself is one of the biggest fossil fuel companies in the world. And, you know, that has more to do with policies and like overarching global international trade agreements than it has to do with any one particular company. Uh, you know, so I think really the question of like, are we going to move to more renewable energy? It's been cheaper to create new power projects with renewables for over a decade in many jurisdictions than it is with fossil fuels. Like it really just comes down to the uh, vested interest and sort of momentum behind the maintenance of the status quo, uh, you know, and companies that are legally uh, required to maximize profits on behalf of their shareholders than it is really like the sort of whims and interests of any one particular CEO or set of CEOs. Like if the Shell CEO tomorrow said, we're gonna stop doing fossil fuels, they would legally actually be responsible to their shareholders for what the financial implications of that would be for all their existing projects. Um, okay, you wow. Know, well, we aren't gonna do that without regulators making them do it and regulators aren't gonna do it until the general public really demands that they do it, really understands that it's possible, really gets what the benefits are. Um, you know, so to me, that's like the benefit of just getting more of these projects out in the world, having people have more real world experience with the fact that like you can actually not only produce your own power, but like if you've got a certain kind of car, you could be a battery that's selling electricity to your neighbors, like a, a really cool project that uh, grants around uh, called 7Energy is already doing this in Austria uh, you know they've created a community energy grid that's using a, con- a combination of gnosis chain and a project called Monarium so people don't even need to know there's a blockchain under the hood they're just uh, you know making transactions directly through their bank account buying and selling electricity from their neighbors which adds to local self-reliance gives you incentives to you know buy this kind of infrastructure there's also projects where people are financing this kind of stuff using uh, crypto. You know, and for me, I got into crypto in part because I was so fed up with the big banks and the status quo that I really saw crypto as like a counterculture, revolutionary sort of response uh, to that status quo in a way to finance projects. And to me, it's really exciting that we're seeing more and more of that happening. And anybody who wants to be a part of that, like I'd say fabulous, you know, and if, uh, you know, if our brand takes a, a little bit of a, a, a tarnishing in the process, like to me, that's just growing pains and transition. Um, you know, like, uh, to me, what's much more important is the actual projects that are getting this funding, many of them in like, uh, you know, the southern hemisphere, where even small amounts of money make a really huge difference in terms of what they're able to do. And, and to me, that's far more important than any other consideration, really.
0: Wow. they. I, I feel like I understand the ethos and the intention so much more now. So, so, yeah, one bonus question I have for you both. I had two, but we already went over uh, the regeneration question. What does it mean to you to be green-pilled?
2: <laughs> sure. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, to me, it's really just about like seeing the world a different way. You know, like I I think once you've taken the green pill, you sort of understand that things can be different, right? Like the whole sort of red pill thing, it's like, you know, once you take that pill, you know, you're now seeing the reality of the matrix, right? Like, and to me, the green pill is kind of the same thing, but from sort of a regen point of view, it's like, you've taken this green pill, you now understand that like, regenerative crypto economics is a thing, like, you know, community currencies can be useful, that, you know, there's other funding mechanisms that could actually make things better, that, you know, storing information on a blockchain has all kinds of inherent benefits, and you can remove middlemen from transactions and ways to put more money directly in the hands of people on the ground. Like, you know, I think you can go deeper and deeper and deeper down rabbit hole. But like just fundamentally taking that green pill is like just making a decision that you're going to like open your eyes to what's possible and what could be different and how it could make the world sort of a better place, particularly in a sense of a regenerative better place, like a better place where, um, you know, we're really looking at social and environmental impacts Um, You know, and looking at for win-win opportunities where like not only can we all get enriched financially, but we can also get empowered to, you know, have more control over our lives and, and also, you know, really be part of projects that are making the world better.
0: I agree. And, and something I really love too that kind of lives within the regen, um, ecosystem is the solar punk movement too. I really like how there's a lot of art depicting a future where we can build more regenerative systems, where we harness the power of technology to live more mindfully of our environment, our environmental impact. So I really love the solar punk movement also as well.
1: I have Another biz dev answer would be I think when I look at the world through the through the green pill, it's that it's the idea that you can do good and do well at the same time in terms of like do good for the world, but do well financially. And it's it's not looking at things through this zero sum attitude where for me to win, you have to lose. And instead looking at it like. I don't need to have my slice of the pie because I can just bake another pie. And so I'd say that's that's the way that I look at it.
0: Love. That's a good answer. Wow. Well, I, I have learned so much. I hope our listeners and our viewers learn a lot from this podcast episode <clears> as well. Um, And it's just been so awesome connecting with you both. To our listeners and viewers, thank you so much for tuning in today. Check out Gatecoin Dow, connect with Azim and Ben. We'll be dropping resources in the description below. And thanks for tuning in. Okay, friends, so before we end today's episode, I just want to take a moment to thank projects like BanklessDAO and projects like Opolis for making Season 8 of Crypto Sapiens possible. So I just want to draw your attention to the links in our description. If you're watching on YouTube, you'll see the links there. Or if you're listening to our podcast, you'll also see the links in the description. The first is going to be BanklessDAO community. And for those watching the video, I'll go ahead and share my screen. So you'll see here BanklessDAO's website. You'll also be able to learn more about how to join BanklessDAO, the different guilds and different projects that we're working on at BanklessDAO. And there really is something for everyone here. I think it's an amazing starting point for those looking to get involved in Web3. If you're listening to this and wanna learn more about how to get involved, BanklessDAO is an excellent starting point. There's guilds for just about any interest here. So I highly recommend going to Bankless DAO community, joining the Discord and saying hi and making some friends. To stay up to date on all things CryptoSapiens, go to CryptoSapiens.xyz. Here, you'll see all of our podcast episodes uploaded with a brief description of what they are, and you can also download them from here. Now, last but not least, a lot of you know me actually from my work at Opolis. So Opolis, if you don't know, is a digital employment cooperative. We do things like offer employer services to those working in the Web3 space, working on DAOs, or running their own independent business. So we help issue W2s, Pay stubs and get you things like national healthcare coverage. So, if this is something you're interested in, click the link in the description. All proceeds for referrals go towards supporting CryptoSapiens. Thank you so much for tuning in for today's episode of CryptoSapiens. As always, stay tuned for next time, and thank you again for joining.